Hello, Bill. Hello, Bill. How are you? So my kids this weekend, so it was nice. They come to you? Yeah, yeah. It was my birthday today, 76. Mazeltov. <laughs> Happy it's birthday. That's a lot. That's high to keep counting that high. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Well, at, after 75, you start starts reversing, get younger. Well, that would be good. That's like Mark and Mindy. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Matt? Very good. How are you? So, do you hear we have a new new Torah in the Bay Area? In in Danville? No. Um, do you remember the Bertolinas? Yes. Their 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 father, the brother of Pinchas. Right. He he brought one back from Israel. Oh wow! So I, I think it's going to be on loan to Chabad and Marin for a couple of years. Oh, nice! And they'll pass it around to the most in need of a Torah. Needs. That's fantastic. Yeah, good news. More Torahs, good. Okay, friends, I'm going to take a vote. You want to do uh, uh, the Parsha, or you want to do Talmud? Since you guys are the first. Parsha is a little hard to resist. Parsha is hard to resist. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> All right. We'll do it this week. I mean, I did. we did advertise that we're going to do uh, Talmud Sundays. Let's do Talmud Sundays. I'll, I'll, we'll start next week. Mitzvah Please, God. We'll start next week. Okay. And for this week, we'll stick with the Parsha. Okay. Of course, we have our big event tonight, 8 o'clock. Incredible. We have RSVPs from all over the world for this event tonight. All over the country and all over the world. Truly incredible. Something about the topic of you know having the chief rabbi of Turkey speaking, just it went viral. And uh, England, South Africa, Miami Beach, Baltimore, San Francisco, even Lafayette. Amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Time is now. Yeah. Okay, well, we have a new Parsha. This is a big Parsha as far as Parshas go. Huge Parsha, it has the giving of the Torah. So let's jump right into it. By Yishma Yisro, Exodus chapter 18, Yisro heard. And who was Yisro? Kohen Midian. He was the chieftain of Midian, the father-in-law of Moshe. And he heard everything that Elohim had done to Moshe and to Israel, his nation. He had taken the Jewish people, the Israel, out of, that God had taken Israel out of Egypt. Just note that the two names of God are used here. It starts with Elohim and then goes to Yudke Lavki. 
So Vayishma Yisro says, Rashi, what exactly did he hear that made him come to the desert? What news did he hear? The splitting of the Red Sea and the war with Amalek. These two things, he was like, wow, I got to come. I got to be there. And we've noted in the past that this is a, a, a quality I mean, admirable quality that when that many people hear things, yeah, they hear and they say, wow, and then they move on. And it's to the praise of Yisro that he heard something that was awesome. And he did something about it. He changed his life. He moved. Yisro, now Rashi's going to tell us that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, had seven names for tax purposes. Sheva, Shemesh, Nikruloi, he had seven names. Ruel, Yeser, Yisro, Chovav, Chever, Keni, and Putiel. Chever, Keni, and Putiel. The reason that he had the name Yeser, Yeser means an addition. And he got this name because an extra additional portion of the Torah is added because of him. What's that? That's what we're going to read soon in this Parsha where he advises Moshe to decentralize and delegate the job that Moshe was doing all by himself of guiding the people. He says, set up all these judges. That's an extra portion of the Torah that comes about through Yisro's inspiration. Therefore, he gets his name Yeser, which means an addition because he created an addition in the Torah. Wow. And then he gets the name Yisro, which is basically Yeser with a little Vav at the end, or regular Vav at the end. He gets that after he converts and he fulfills the mitzvahs. So he gets an extra letter for that. And why is he called Chovav? Chovav comes from the word to, to, to precious, to, to, um, to, to, to love something, to have affection for something. And so he's called Chovah because he was He had affection. He loved the Torah. Have in, in modern Hebrew, you have Habibi, my friend, my beloved Habibi. And Chovah is synonymous with Yisro. Some say, and then he has Ruel, etc. Now, then Rashi gives a second opinion that Ruel, in fact, is Yisro's father. And going back to the story of the daughters of Yisro, that they went back to their father, Reuel, after having been saved by the well, by, by Moshe, it says they went to their father, Reuel. Well, if Reuel is the father of Moses, how could it say that they went back to the father? So Rashi says that children call their grandfather, father, Abba, Tinokot. The, the, the children call their grandfather, father. And therefore, it says he, they went to the Ru'el, their father, even though, according to this interpretation, Ru'el is the grandfather. Okay. Choten Moshe, Rashi tells us here, Yisro is priding himself on his relationship with Moses. I'm the father-in-law of Moses. I'm the father-in-law of the king, Moshe being the king. But in the past, Moshe was priding himself on his connection to his father-in-law, as it says in the verse, in, uh, back in the beginning of Shemot, that he returned to, to Yisro, his father-in-law. In other words, they were both great, each one priding himself on his relationship with the other. 
Furthermore, the verse tells us everything that God had done to Moshe and to the Jewish people. Rashi tells us that, that by doing so, the Torah is equating Moshe and Israel. That Moshe is equal to all of Israel because of his greatness. Everything that God had done, what did God do for the Jewish people? Brought them down the Mon, the Be'er, the well of Miriam, um, and Amalek, the fight with Amalek where they were victorious. And finally, the verse concludes the greatest thing of all, in addition to all of these things that are mentioned, of course, that God took them out of Egypt. So Yisro, the Chosin of Moshe, repeats again. The father-in-law of Moses takes Zipporah, the wife of Moshe, after she had been sent away. Rashi tells us, why would Zipporah sent away? He gives us the backstory. Backstory is what God told Moshe in Midian, go and return to Egypt. Leich Shuv So he, Moshe said, okay. And he took his wife and his two, two sons. And then Aharon goes out to greet Moshe and meets him on the mountain of God, on Har Sinai. And Aaron says, Moshe, so who are these people you have with you? He says, this is my wife, who I married in Midian, and these are my sons. He says, and where exactly do you think you're taking them? He says, I'm taking them to Egypt. So Aaron says, we've got enough problems with the, with the Jews that are already there. They're suffering. And you want to go and bring more Jews to Egypt to suffer more. So Moshe said, good point. He told his wife to go back to Midian, and she took the two children, and she went. So now, this whole story of Moshe, he was a bachelor while he was dealing with, with Paro. He was a bachelor when he took the Jewish people out of Egypt. Now he's in the desert. Yisro goes and brings his wife and children to him. So she has the two sons with her. First one's name was Gershom. And the, the verse here gives us the reason that he was called by that name because Moshe had said, I was a stranger in a foreign land. Verse, verse four. And the name of the second one was Eliezer. The reason the second son was called Eliezer from the word, my God, Keli, Ezer, was, came, to, came to my aid and rescued me from the sword of Paro. Rashi gives us the backstory. This was when Dasan and Aviram, the two very difficult people who made Moshe's life very difficult, they revealed to Pharaoh what Moshe had done, that he had killed an Egyptian. And now Pharaoh wanted to kill Moshe. So what happened is that God saved him. How did he do so? Because Moshe's neck became as hard as a marble pillar. So literally saved him from the sword of Pharaoh not just figuratively that Paro was trying to kill him and God saved him. No, from the actual sword of Paro, God saved him by turning his neck miraculously into a marble pillar. Hold on one second. Turning off the heat. <clears throat> Verse 5, So Yisrael comes... Again, the father-in-law of Moses and Moshe's sons and his wife to Moses, to the desert where he was encamped, Shamhar, the mountain of God. 
Says Rashi, one second. Do we not already know that Moshe is in the desert? The verse telling us something we don't know. Why does it say he came to the desert? Rather, the verse is trying to give us the praise of Jethro and is saying that here Yisro was living in great honor. He was a, he was a big macher. Probably had a nice place. And he decides, his heart prompts him to go out to the desert, which is not so comfortable. A place of a wasteland. Why? To hear the words of Torah. And of course, you could hear the message here that in order to hear words of Torah, you got to be able to get off of the couch and even go to, to a place that is uncomfortable to be able to hear words of Torah. I am, of course, has to be COVID safe. These days, stay on your couch. I, the father-in-law of Yisro, I'm coming to you. And your wife and your two children are with her. He sent this as a message through a messenger he sends this message to Moshe. Rashi says, if you're not going to come out for me, come out for your wife. And if you're not going to come out for your wife, come out for your children. Moshe goes out to greet his father-in-law. He bows down to him. And he kisses him. And Rashi will tell us this is Moshe, Moshe bowing down. And the one man asks his fellow how he's doing. They greet one another. And Rashi tells us ish, that refers to Moshe, because we find that expression, man, ish, referring to Moshe elsewhere. By Yavoyu Ayala, they come into the tent. Says Rashi, Moshe, Moshe went out. Yisro was accorded incredible honor at that time, at that moment. Why? Because when Moshe went out to greet Yisro, Aharon, his brother, went out with him. Aaron, his brother, went out with him. So Aaron's two children, Nadav and Aviu, they also went out with Moshe and Aaron. Who saw, who of the Jewish people would see these, the four greats of the Jewish people going out to greet somebody? They're going to say, let's go also. So everybody went along. So the whole Jewish people, basically, who saw, went, went along to greet Yisrael. He bowed down to many, kissed him. So we're not sure who are the pronoun, pronoun over here. Who's he? Who bowed down? Who kissed who? Any idea, says Rashi. I don't know who kissed, who bowed to whom. But when the verse says that, that, one, that the man asked his fellow, he greeted his fellow, who is the one who's called Ish, the man? That's Moshe. As we'll read in the book of Numbers, Ish Moshe, the man Moses, etc., was the most humble of face of the earth. So Moshe relays to his father-in-law everything that God, to Paro and to Egypt, on account of the Jewish people. All of the hardships that had befallen them on the way, 
And God had saved them. Says Rashi, Why was Moshe telling him this? It wasn't just Stam, you know, making conversation. No, he had a purpose. He wanted to draw Yisro's heart, to attract his heart, to draw him near to the Torah. So what are the hardships? The hardships is what happened at the sea before everything worked out. It was kind of a difficult situation. And the hardship of Amalek, that they were attacked by Amalek. Verse 9, So Jethro is happy. He rejoices. Like you have, I'll call a toiva for all the good that God, Yudkevavke, had done for Yisrael, for the Jewish people, and he saved them from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hand of Egypt. Rashi says, He rejoiced. That's the simple explanation. But the Medrash says that the word vayichad is not the typical word for joy. There's another word for joy. Simcha, vayismach. So what is this vayichad? Uh, says Rashi, even though he was happy for the Jews, but he was also upset about what had happened to the Egyptians. Because that's where Yisro came from. He came from there. And therefore it was it was uh, bittersweet for him that though the Jews were saved and everything went well for them, but the fact that the, Jew, the Egyptians had been destroyed, that caused him to be upset. What was all the good? So he described the, the hardships and he described the good. The good was the, the good of the man, the mana, Vahabe'er and the and the the well of water, Torah and the Torah. And above all of that was the fact that they were saved from the hands of Egypt. Until now, no servant, not even one single solitary slave, was able to escape from Egypt. The, the land of Egypt was completely locked and closed. And suddenly you have a whole nation of 600,000, and that's just the males, 20 and up, who left Egypt. Blessed is the Lord, who saved you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Paro, who saved the nation from under the hand of Egypt. Rashi says, from the hand of Egypt, which is a difficult nation. More, moreover, furthermore, from the hand of Paro, who is a difficult king, strong king. And what does it mean from the, under the hand of Egypt? That means from under the control of the Egyptians, an expression of tyrannization and domination. Verse 11, Yisro continues, Now I know, that God is greater than all the deities. As we know, Rashi will tell us, Yisro, this teaches us that Yisro was, was familiar with every type of idol, every type of deity in the world. He checked them all out. And so he was able to say, yes, this is the real thing, because I've checked everything else. God punished them in the very thing that they had plotted. So it was the... Rashi says, 
the, the Egyptians, they tried to, to, to destroy the Jewish people with water. They were, pour, they were throwing the kids into the Nile. And the punishment that they receive is that they drown in the Sea of Reeds. That they plotted. Rabbi Seinu, our rabbi, has explained it, that Zadu has, and relates to the word for cooking. So, the very pot in which they cooked, they themselves were cooked. Verse 12, so the father in law of Moses, how many times does it repeat that he's the father of Moses? Quite so many times. Yisrael, the father of Moses, takes Oila, a all consuming offering, Uzvachim, and peace offerings to Elohim, to God, offers. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel come to eat, to eat bread, to dine, to eat food with the father-in-law of Moses before the Lord, before Elohim. And Rashi says, well, where did Moses go? It says that Aaron and all the elders came to dine with the father-in-law of Moses. But what about Moses himself? Says Rashi, where did Moshe go? He's the one who went out to greet Yisroh and caused all of this great honor to Yisroh. All of a sudden, he disappears. He doesn't dine with them. Rather, Moshe was standing and acting as a waiter. That's how humble Moshe was and how he felt about his father-in-law. So the, the Torah describes this meal that Yisro and Aaron and Moshe and all the elders were having, it describes it as dining before the Lord. That means it was a pretty pretty holy meal, if you call the meal dining before God. And as Rashi tells us, that if you have pleasure from a feast at which Torah scholars are seated, it's as if you derive pleasure from the splendor of the Shekhinah. Let's go a little further. Jump into uh, tomorrow's Chumash. So it was the next day. Moshe sat to judge the people. And the people stood upon Moses from morning until night. Rashi says, what does it mean the next day? The next day means the day right after Yom Kippur. That's what it says in the Sifri. And so what does it mean, mi macharas? The macharas minahar, the day after he came down from mountain. Wow, the Torah just jumped. According to this version in Rashi, the Torah now jumps to after the giving of the Torah, after the Ten Commandments, after the golden calf, after Moshe goes up on high to receive God's, to ask for God's forgiveness. And he's up there until Yom Kippur. He comes down with the second tablets after Yom Kippur with God's forgiveness. This is the day that the Torah is now discussing. Torah now jumps to that story of what happens the day after Moshe comes down with the second tablets. And Rashi goes on to prove this. If Torah had not yet been, get, been given, then what does it mean in verse 16 that I'm going to teach my, my commandments? And if you're going to say it's from when the Torah was given until Yom Kippur, 
the time between the Torah was given on Shavuot and Yom Kippur, well, Moshe never had the chance to sit down and judge the nation because on the 17th of Tammuz is when he came down from the mountain for the first time. So he, received, he goes up in the mountain, Shavuot. He gets the, the, the 10, the, the God says the 10 commandments, the first two, and the Moshe, this the, the, the next eight. And he's up on the mountain. He doesn't come down until the 17th of Tammuz, 40 days later. And what does he do when he comes down? He sees them worshiping the golden calf. He breaks the tablets and he goes right back up in the morning, very early in the morning. And he's up there for 80 days, 80 days. And then he comes back, comes back after Yom Kippur. So this is Rashi's going through the, through the process here. It cannot be that this happened before the giving of the Torah because there was no, no laws to talk of if the Torah hadn't been given yet. And if you will say that it happened after the giving of the Torah, but before Yom Kippur, but Moshe was not around at all. He was up on the mountain from, from, from uh, when the Torah was given on Shavuot until after Yom Kippur. He was there for, for he came down and broke the tablets, but he went back up early in the morning. So even that day he couldn't have been. There was really no time. It says, so this, this Parsha is out of order. And I, but as we know, the Torah often will do that and will give us stories that happened later or happened earlier. Torah is not written necessarily in a crowd, chronological order. It says the next Rashi, Moshe was sitting like a king and all the people were standing. And this bothered Yisrael. He said that, that Moshe is belittling the respect that is due to the Jewish people, and he rebukes him for this. As it says, Why are you sitting alone? They're all standing. In other words, when you read the story, you could just say that this was an issue of delegation, that Yisrael is telling his, his Moshe, this is too much work for you. You've got to delegate. You've got to give other people the job. But Rashi points to the very, if you look very carefully, at the words, there's also something else here, which is that he's also criticizing him for the way that he's doing it, that he's making the people stand while he sitting. One more Rashi, and we'll take a break. From morning to night, Rashi says, is it possible? Is it really possible that he was judging from morning to night? Says Rashi, any judge who does his job and adjudicates in a way of absolute truth, not just truth, but the truest truth, even for one hour, one moment. So the quality of judging in a proper way, even if it's for a short time, God considers it, the Torah considers it as if he'd been engaged in Torah the entire day and as if he became a partner with God in the work of creation which of which it is said, it was evening, it was morning, one day. Let us pause and open it up to questions and comments. Rabbi, can you, can you clarify for me? I get confused um, with the timing of it. When he actually went up on the mountain, when he received the Torah. It was there for 40 days. Did he come down with the tablets, with the Ten Commandments? Did he come down with the Torah itself? What? I don't. I get confused about that. So, um, 
he goes up to receive the Torah on um, what we call now Shavuot, right? Shavuot. So that's the sixth of Sivan. It's approximately 49 days, um, 49 days after Pesach begins. It's almost two months after Pesach. Jews are in the desert. They've left Egypt. They've been in the desert 49 days. And Moshe receives the Torah. Goes up to receive the Torah. And that is when God speaks the Ten Commandments. And Moshe is up there for 40 days. And after the 40 days, after that, he goes and brings the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, down the mountain. That's when he breaks those first tablets and he's angry because they worship in the golden calf. Exactly. The Jews have, uh, have miscalculated. They think Moses is not coming back. They worship the golden calf. He comes down, he breaks it. Then he goes back up for 80 days and comes back on Yom Kippur, the day after Yom Kippur, with the second set of tablets. That's the chronology. It is, it is confusing and complicated. And the day that he comes down and breaks the tablets is the 17th of Tammuz, which is a fast day to this very day. We fast on that day every, every year. So why, um, why bother mentioning Yisro? I know he's father-in-law, he's important, but um, must be more to the story because it's not too many interactions with him. Uh, there is the interaction when he gave Moshe his daughter, Sipora, and then a little later, and that's it. Right. Yeah. So Yisro, I mean, it's very, it's it's very uh, intriguing because the Parsha gets called Yisro. I mean, that whole Parsha gets that name. And you say, well, it's the second word of the Parsha, but the Rebbe never bought that story because, <laughs> you know, it could have been called Vayishma, and he heard, just like we have a Parsha called Vayera, and he saw or he heard. He said he was, he, he was, he was real to him. So the Rebbe has a very interesting take on the whole story with Yisro and why that's the name of the Parsha, the giving of the Torah. I mean, it's not called Sinai. It's not called the Tablets. It's called Yisro. Wow. And, and why this story is told, especially according to Rashi, that it is, this story is not going to happen until much later. You know, the story of the, where, where Yisro advises him to delegate. As we just read in Rashi, that's not going to happen until um, after Yom Kippur. And at this point in the story, we haven't even gotten the Torah yet. So why is the Torah telling us here it seems very clear that it's a introduction to the giving of the Torah, this story. Why? The answer the Rebbe gave was that <laughs> the whole point of the giving of the Torah is to, to bring divinity, to bring the divine ideals, divine truth, into the nitty-gritty of life. God comes down on Mount Sinai. 
that's what that that's what that is about. And there's so much. You know, we'll get to it when we, when we read we read the story. There's so much in there that emphasizes this idea that the giving of the Torah was giving us the strength, the power to bring the Torah into the nitty gritty of life. In other words, it is the opposite of the sense that religious expression or Judaism or any religious expression or connection with God can can requires separation from the world. And that's how you connect to God. You separate from the world. No, this was the exact opposite. The Kohen Gadol has to be married, right? And part of that, so that's that's what the giving of the Torah is really about. It's not about conveying the information because they had the information. It was giving us the strength to be able to bring divinity, divine truth into the nitty gritty of life into the material, mundane world. It was a mind-blowing idea. Now, the story of Yesro, how does that, how is that a introduction? On one foot, here's a Rebbe explained it. When people came to Moses with their problems, with their issues, with their squabbles, with their debates, with their questions, when they entered Moshe's presence, they were elevated to a higher realm by osmosis. By the osmosis of Moses, they were, so whatever problems and questions they had, they disappeared. They were gone. And when they went back to their tents and went back to their so-called real life, the problems were not solved. Because the problems had not been solved at the level of where they were at. They were only solved as they are in the presence of Moses. Hello, David. Don't worry. We're going to get off soon. And we only let you in. Nobody else is being let in. No worries. I have a few uh, drops of wisdom from you. It's wonderful. <laughs> way to get prepared. So um, so that's why this is the story of, the story of Yisro is so essential and why it precedes the giving of the Torah. Because it brings out this idea that the Torah has to permeate our lives, has to filter down, has to trickle down into our lives, even as we are outside of the presence of Moses. And Yisro being the one who looked at every idol in the world and, um, you know, he, he's seen it all. And he comes to the recognition that this is the real deal. That this is what it, where it's at. That's the ultimate transformation the ultimate um, sign of the divine truth being expressed even in the lowliest place. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us tonight for Jethro. We will see you tonight. David, by the way, is interviewing our guest speaker tonight, Rabbi Mendel Chitrik, live from Istanbul, from Turkey. And, um, you know, of course, we couldn't have planned it, but it was an incident yesterday, I'm sure you're all aware, um, an Islamic attack on a, on a congregation, on a Jewish community. And one of the things that Rabbi Chitrick does is he is, 
He's he's a head. He's the chairman of the Alliance of Rabbis in Islamic countries. So there's a there's I mean we don't even hear about this, but there's Islamic countries in the world, and there are Jews that live there, and there are rabbis there. He's one of them. He's a rabbi in Turkey. Um, he just met with Erdogan very uh, not too long ago, and. Um, They've got the chief rabbi of Iran in Tehran, who's part of their alliance, Azerbaijan and uh, other uh, Muslim countries that are connected with him. So, you know, he, this one of the things he does. He's, he's dealing with Muslims all the time and do, doing pretty, pretty well. So it should be very interesting. 40, 45 rabbis from 17 Islamic states. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and growing. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. Think about it. I'll probably ask him this question. Think about it in the context of today's, like the last 24 hours, uh, months with our contest and the tug of war with Islamic states, years, decades, but also centuries. Jews were kicked out of Spain in 1492. They, they fled to Turkey. My, my uh, inspiration was a a literature professor named uh, Arabach, Eric Arabach, wrote a monumental work in 1945 called Mimesis. And he was a refugee from Nazi Germany to Istanbul, to Turkey. He wrote it in the library in Turkey. But go back to 1945 BC, and you get Avram leaving Haran with Terach and Sarah and, and Lot. And Haran is in modern-day Turkey. Wow. So it goes all the way back. Anyway, that's just an advertisement. Okay. <laughs> coming attraction. So that'll be tonight, 8 o'clock. Same, same login as you came in for the class. And we'll see you. You'll see Rabbi Yale tomorrow night, 7:30 for I think Sages of the Talmud. Yeah. Matt, how are you feeling? Pretty good. Pretty good. This thing, this thing comes and goes. It's sneaky. Oh, yeah. Well, see you. See you later, folks. Yes. And I'll put in a plug also Tuesday night for uh, Brad's father's yard site. We're going to get together for that, but I think we'll be able to sneak out for uh, for a Zoom for the class Tuesday night. All right, Lila Tov, friends. Hope to see you later on. If not, we'll see you on Tuesday. Lila Tov.